Welcome everybody. Thank you for joining us for the first public service announcement with PSA. PSA PSA! Uh, I'm Sky and I've been with PSA for roughly a year now. I sit on the board of directors. I'm joined here uh, by this lovely person to my left. Uh, if you want to introduce yourself. Sure. Um, I'm Nadine and I'm also on the board of directors of Project Safe Audience. Been volunteering since 2017, and uh, I'm known as the Raider Mom, or at least that's what I like to coin, coin myself. So, <laughs> um, so it's cool to call me that, I guess. And uh, yeah, very happy and proud to be part of the organization, and I'm excited that this is our first podcast uh, kicking us off. Um, our goal with the podcast is to be able to discuss harm reduction and also to be able to highlight harm reduction leaders um, around the world. And today we're going to start with our very own <laughs> Bryce Coach, uh, who is uh, the founder and leader of Project Safe Audience. Um, and uh, we're very blessed to have him here today to, to talk with us. And uh, yeah, welcome. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, so my name is um, Bryce Coach, and my pronouns are he, him. And actually, before we jump in, how would you, would you tell me your pronouns? Uh, my pronouns are she, her. So that's Sky. Yep. Um, and I prefer gender neutral pronouns, so I use they and them. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, so my name is Bryce Coach. I um, co founded Project Safe Audience back in 2016 with a nursing friend of mine. We were in school together named uh, Joe. And uh, yeah, we, we started it back then. Shout out, Joe! Woo! <laughs> uh, and you know, it's been growing a lot since then. And I'm, I'm really excited that we're kind of expanding into sort of podcast forms to kind of explore harm reduction and everything. And and uh, for the people who are listening, uh, we are also recording this, so we may have it uh, up on our YouTube channel, Project Tape Audience on YouTube. Uh, for people to watch if they really want to see us. There you, there you go. Um, a little bit more kind of about me. Uh, professionally, I work as, I, I have a, I am a nurse. Um, and I'm currently going back to school for my nurse practitioners. So I'm getting my master's in nurse practitioners. I've um, been a raver for a very long time and I enjoyed all the fun stuff that uh, raving and partying brings. And uh, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm very excited to talk about uh, our production with the both of you. Well, thank you. We appreciate um, your willingness to share not just with us, but all the listeners who hopefully are going to uh, enjoy, enjoy this. Yeah. Hey, give me a platform. I'll talk all day. Well, to inspire. And then maybe we'll start with uh, with a question of what does harm reduction mean to you? Yeah, for sure. So for harm reduction, for me, I there's a lot of these sort of like academic. Uh, um, definitions of harm reduction that kind of go into stuff around like person-centered, um, like strength-based stuff. And while those, while those definitions are amazing, I like to boil it down to just the, the bare minimum of the easy understanding way, uh, the easy understanding definition of harm reduction. So for me, harm reduction is quite simple. You take something that has harms associated with it, and you reduce those harms without having someone stop the behavior. So you can draw parallels to many different things. So the most common thing that I usually use as a discussion point with harm reduction is around substance use, but harm reduction is much larger than, than just uh, reducing harm to substance use. But you know, certain substances have innate harms associated with them. Um, but you can reduce those harms by sort of you know planning your substance use, you know testing your substance, um, and you can reduce those harms by taking sort of initiative in your own health. 
Um, so yeah, that's my definition of harm reduction, essentially taking something that we know has harm and reducing those harms. Uh, other couple, you can look at it as like driving a car as well. Uh, Seatbelt is technically harm reduction as well. You um, if you get in a car accident, it's not great. You're probably going to get really injured. Um, and we can all acknowledge that car driving vehicles has a, a certain level of risk associated with it. Um, we don't want to stop people from driving cars because it's well established in our society. So we put seatbelts in our cars so people can still drive around and you know not be as injured if anything sort of happens. And you know, same thing with substance use. It's um, like we acknowledge that substance use is a uh, well established thing in our society. We've been doing it for generations and generations and generations, even since like recorded history. So now let's just start putting frameworks in place that makes substance use safer and uh, not have to force people or you know push people to stop using substances that may you know give them a lot of benefits. Excellent. Well, um, now that we've got your definition of what harm reduction means, I'm kind of curious now how you've applied that to yourself <laughs> and uh, Project Safe Audience. So, like, what what inspired you specifically to start Project Safe Audience? Yeah. So, um, I've been in the rave scene for a while, and I enjoy a lot of things that the rave scene brings. Um, and what I was when while I was going through nursing school, I started to notice some of my friends and some of my uh, acquaintances in the rave community, you know, start to start taking a bit of risks that that you know kind of rub me the wrong way. I can think of one specific situation where I had a friend who was sort of um, taking MDMA every single weekend for quite a significant amount of time, and then so I was just like, I'm like, okay, let's look into this a little bit more. Like, how can we kind of how can we kind of mitigate this a little bit? What I found when looking into that is, you know, there are certain vitamins you can take that actually can lower the neurotoxicity of MDMA. So I started looking into that a little bit more and started realizing like, okay, is this, is this just with MDMA? Is there other substances that you could like do certain techniques on to reduce some of the harms associated with it? Start learning about, you know, spacing up your dosages with MDMA, you know, taking it like, uh, you know, at a maximum once a month, recommended once every three months. Um, and that was interesting kind of learning about that. And then at around that time, I got invited to go to this music festival called Shambla. Um, so for people who don't know, Shambla is this big old music festival in BC. It's um, it's sort of the mecca for harm reduction uh, based or music festival based harm reduction. And there's an organization there called Anchors. And what Anchors did was they did on-site drug testing. So you could bring your drugs to them and they would test it and um, let you know what's in it. I found that fascinating. Like that was, yeah, that was definitely. Like, <laughs> what? This is a thing. You bring your substance here, and they'll tell you what's in it. Like what the fuck? Now, uh, now, how did they do that? There, do they do they do the testing uh, with a machine, with some sort of chemicals? Sure, sure. Um, so when I first went to Shambhala, they were still using reagent-based testing. So that's the stuff we use with Project Safe Audience. So like the Marquis, the Mac, the Mandolin, Rodin, and all the other reagents they do. Um, so they add a little bit of a chemical to it, and it'll change color depending on what is in the substance. Um, since then, um, Anchors and Shambhala has moved to having a drug testing platform, so an NTIR, um, which is essentially a, a laser that you shoot through a substance, and depending on where the laser bounces, will tell you what's in that substance. Um, but yeah, so when I when I originally went there, they um, they were doing the reagent testing. I talked with one of the people who was supervising that um, that um, setting, and uh, I asked them like, how do you kind of get involved in this? How do you do this sort of stuff? And they gave me a manual on how to do drug testing. And so <laughs> exactly, so I'm like, sweet, this is great. Um, 
And then so I was really inspired by what they were doing there, keeping people safe in the festival community. So I came when I came back to Winnipeg, I talked to my nursing friend Joe and I was like, hey man, like, you know, would you we were in our community health rotation at that time and harm reduction has a lot of strong community health uh, attachments to it. So we're like, you know what, like I think this is something you could do here in Winnipeg. Like, I know where to get free condoms from, I know where I can get like earplugs from, like I know where to get all the safer drug use information from. Like, let's see, would you want to set up a booth and let's just give this a shot? Um, I also wanted to get into parties for free. I didn't want to pay for parties anymore. So I was like, I was like, like hey, I'll just do nursing things at a uh, party instead. You, you have that to pay my ticket. Um, so yeah, we set up we, we set up a booth. At, um, I think the, the first event was a Stylus Beats event. Uh, I don't think it was by Stylus now. And um, yeah, it was amazing. A lot of people coming up and chatting with us and... Um, you know, asking us a lot of questions about substances. And so originally, like, harm reduction for me was a way to keep my friends and uh, friends and family safe uh, around substance use, but then I expanded it to be like, okay, how can I keep my community safe? How can I bring people together and make this community safer? And, uh, yeah, that's kind of where PSA uh, kind of started from. <laughs> well, that's a really expanded answer that I think shares a lot about uh, who you are. So, um, I mean, what is what is I, what does a typical event look like when PSA is involved? What do we generally provide? Yeah. And um, is it true that the first event that you attended was uh, in a Chinese food restaurant? Yes, yeah, so it was a Pampega Chinese food restaurant. <laughs> the first the first rave we ever did our event at was at a Chinese fast food restaurant. Actually, the first two events were at the same Chinese food restaurant. Um, so that was yeah, oh, that was that was had its challenges. <laughs> But yeah, so like regular day with um, with PSA. So I'll, I'll sort of talk about um, like at events because the festival side of it's a little bit a little bit different. Um, so at events, what we'll, we'll do is we'll kind of show up there early um, and set up a booth somewhere at the events, a place where people can find us, usually kind of near Washington. And at that booth, we'll provide all of our harm reduction, like our front-end harm reduction information and supplies. So we'll be supplying stuff like um, uh, snorting equipment uh, for people who do nose drugs. Um, just because like sharing certain equipment can transmit certain bloodborne uh, infections. We'll provide uh, safer drug use information. So we have these cards from Dantsafe that are very colorful and artistic and very, uh, oh yeah, they're pretty, they're pretty nice. People tend to... They have great information. I mean, yeah. everybody who comes and comes to the table, whether they sit there and read it there or whether they take it with them, put it in their pocket, mm -hmm. like there's value I'm, you mentioned that when people reading there, I always find it funny when people try to read them when, I, when they're obviously like very high on MDMA <laughs> and they're like, you can see their pupils moving back and forth and they're trying to read this like, small like, frame. So like, just take it home with you, read it tomorrow. Like, you don't need to read this. Enjoy the picture. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You don't need to straighten your eyes on this. Um, but yeah, so we provide those cards um, and they have. There's a multiple different substances that we provide cards for. We also give out uh, secret sex um, supplies. So what we have, um, we have condoms, we have lube, we have internal, we have some internal condoms, we have dental dams, um, and then we also have some like pamphlets around um, safer sex and sort of consent talks as well because that, that really goes hand in hand. Uh, we also provide earplugs because raves are loud as fuck, and um, you should, be wearing, should be wearing earplugs at these events. Um, so we give us everyone exactly. And on that, uh, what would be the loudest volume or decibel volume that you've uh, had? 
Do you have a way of recording that? Yeah, so I have my own decibel meter that I use myself. At one music festival I recorded, I think it was 135 decibels um, right beside of the speaker, which is, I think, if I, if I remember this correctly, that leads to, you will have hearing damage in under 30 minutes um, in being in front of that technique. And so that was that was interesting to kind of see. Like I knew these events were loud, but actually being to see that like the calculated number of how loud they actually are, it's like okay, they're loud as fuck. Um, at events in the city, I usually I think the loudest I've recorded was 110, 115, which is still loud. I think that's like hearing damage in like an hour or so. These events are multi-hour, so you know you really should be protecting your hearing. And well. depending on how close you are to the speakers, obviously also kind of play a big factor. Oh yeah, most definitely, most definitely. Um, so yeah, it's kind of our front end services and stuff that we provide. Um, you you um, also mentioned like festivals, and I know that there's there's other aspects to the harm reduction that we play in a, in a role in terms of like the communal aspect. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, there's a couple. So there's a couple things. That's like the stuff I just previously mentioned was our booth sort of stuff, the stuff that's around the booth. But we also have people who wander around the crowd looking for if people are you know about themselves in a bit of a situation that they want to get out of or if anyone's having some difficulties there and just to do some community building there. So hey, we checked out our booth. Um, go check that out. Um, and, and sort of the back end, we have two other services we offer. One of them is psychedelic crisis intervention. So if people have taken a, people are feeling a bit, you know, high energy or low energy, feeling a little uncomfortable after they've taken a substance. We have trained individuals who are very good on de-escalation around people who use psychedelics. So we we will offer that as a service, sort of a nice calm environment to let people recenter themselves after taking a psychedelic and uh, hopefully get them to a point where they're feeling comfortable to go back into the event. And one of our more popular services that I really like to um, highlight is our drug checking program. So I mentioned like the reagent-based testing, that's what we do. Um, we also have um, also fentanyl testing as well. And awesome. the apps, they're pretty great. And the, uh, the fentanyl testing, I'm, like, I'm very happy that we have it because the fentanyl test is quite accurate. It's, um, and so we can, we have, we are really glad that we can add it to our repertoire of drug checking. But drug checking is essentially uh, people bring their substance to us. Um, they will make some small little piles for us on a plate and we'll add a bit of reagent into it and let them know what maybe might be in their substance. And, you know, and the drug checking is great. Can you give us an example? Yeah. Because I like, I mean, we know that there's people that use substances all the time <laughs> and there's kind of like a, you know, like if you don't know, then it won't hurt you kind of mindset. Oh. Like people want to, would rather not know what's in their drugs. Um, so like, um, but there's a lot of people who do want to care about yeah. themselves and their friends because there's been a lot of overdoses mm -hmm. here. Um, I know personally people who have, who have experienced overdose and had to been revived. Um, it's a really horrible thing yeah. to experience, especially when you went into it wanting to just have a recreation. Yeah, I just want to have a good time here. It's around the like pass up in the puddle. Um, like there's one, there's one situation that I I remember uh, very clearly where we um, where someone had, and this was this was sort of a it's it's kind of sees it from a different perspective. But we had an individual at an event who had thought that they had taken ketamine um, and they were brought to me like completely unconscious. Like I couldn't wake them up or anything. They were breathing fine and their breathing heart rate was fine, but they were just completely unconscious. So I'm thinking to my head, I'm like, okay, this person can't hold themselves. They took enough ketamine to just knock themselves up. So whatever, supportive therapy, just sit with them, wait till they sort of wake up and come to. Um, and while we were waiting for them to come to, they, uh, one of their friends actually brought the substance to me and like, this is what they took. I was like, let's test it. Let's give this a test here. 
Um, so we ended up um, testing it, and um, it ended up coming back positive for a drug called 5-MeO-BCP, which is a it's sort of a ketamine analog. It's a dissociative drug, but it's much stronger by weight. So this individual had taken what they thought would be a normal dose of ketamine, but it was actually this 5-MeO-BCP, and so they had taken a quite a hefty dose of that and essentially knocked themselves out. Um, so yeah, it kind of shows the importance of like you know testing before you ingest because you know like the effects of some of these research chemicals have very similar effects to their parents' compounds, um, but like you know the dosaging may be a little different. And so knowing which you which what substance you have, you can make informed decisions of how much you want to put into your body, what else you want to put into your body, um, and stuff like that. Um, so like you've been doing um, test differences between MDA versus MDMA. Um, those are dosage differences, right? Exactly. And, and then if it's, a, if it's a new batch that you haven't used before, then generally start low, go slow would be a good idea. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You don't like, you can always do more drugs. You can't do less drugs. Once they're in your system, you bought the ticket, you're going to enjoy the ride. Yeah. Um, Another one would be... Um, Oh, I can't. You're gonna. You'll remind me of the drug name, but um, it was somebody who thought that it was acid that they were taking when in oh, fact it was like a 25 hour <laughs> drug. Well, okay. So that one, the one I think the one you're specifically mentioning there was when we had someone uh, test their LSD with us and it came back as 25 IM bomb. And so 25 IM bomb is a research chemical um, that's actually more closely related to amphetamine like stimulants than it is to LSD. Um, but it's very visual, very psychedelic. Um, it's actually had some depths associated with it. So it's not really something like, you know, like you take it in a safe way, you know, your dosaging, like it can, it can, can be a, it can be an interesting experience, but if you're taking it thinking it's LSD, it's, um, I think quite problematic. It's, it's a different experience. You're going to feel different. It may not be what you're actually looking for in everything in the experience. Um, so yeah, again, but that like, shows the value of testing oh, your yeah. substance versus just believing that you, what you have is oh, what you have. Exactly, exactly. And that's like, there was a while before, like pretty much all the cocaine testing is coming back positive for meth. I mean, yeah. We were getting people coming up to us, and you probably remember, like, they're like, yeah, the big cocaine that keeps me going for, like, eight yeah, hours. The long-lasting cocaine. Yeah, the long-lasting cocaine. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, tell me more about this one. No, I, I do have a question, and uh, I guess it's more to inform people that may sure. be listening. Um, a lot of people will use drug checking and drug testing interchangeably, <clears throat> but they are two different things. Can you give us a quick explanation? Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, um, with drug testing, one of the reasons why I don't usually use the term drug testing myself is because whenever I whenever I use the term drug testing, you'll get people who'll be like, oh, what drugs are we testing today? Like, what are you going to give me? And I'm like, no, we're not testing drugs on you. We're testing your drugs. Um, and then there's also, like, there's also just a terminology with drug testing. So with, with testing, it implies that you are like breaking down the molecule to its um, like smallest amount and then um, seeing what the molecule itself is. And so you can do drug testing, but that requires very high end specialized equipment that requires like a mass spectrometer or a gas chromo uh, machine. And those are like $100,000 machines. And you can, you, you can tell that drug down to the molecule with those machines. Yeah, yeah, we would, that would be amazing if we had them. And then, so drug checking is we're checking the drug, we're checking for different adulterants that might be in it. Um, we're not we're not going to say 100% of what is in your substance, but we can tell you if it only contains a substance. We can tell you if it contains none of that substance, and we can tell you that the substance is more or less weird. 
Like we can, if it's if it contains only one substance in there, we can say like it contains this substance. But sometimes with our tests, like we'll get multiple different results all the way through, and at the end of it, we'll be like, we actually don't know what's in your substance. Like this test said MDMA, this one says that you have some cathinone in it, and this one says you have some sort of weird cutting agent in it. So we don't really know what's in it. If you're planning to take this, you know, take precautions. What would be like a common cutting agent that people would use first? Sure, so um, with um, MDMA, a really common cutting agent is mannitol. Um, so it's like this sugar additive. We have a hard time detecting that with our kits. It's not something we can easily detect both in FTIR. It can, so we actually have connections with the lab in BC. Um, you can check them out there, getyourdrugstested.com. Um, and so sometimes if we get weird, weird results, we'll send it off to them to do sort of like, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a free mail in service and they'll tell us what's in it and they can detect the mantle. Uh, cocaine will frequently get, um, we have meth cut into cocaine, we'll also get um, uh, levomyosol. So levomyosol is this deworming agent, it increases the stimulating effects of cocaine, but it's mainly used in veterinary medicine. So we've seen a couple samples of those come back through there. I've seen like cocaine, like weird, weird things like that. Yeah. Probably give them like the facial feeling. Yeah, that's essentially numbing. Yeah. Yeah, so there's like lidocaine and novocaine, which are something. Yeah, something to aspirin. Aspirin's fought, gone off the wayside again because it is a bit more expensive than some of the, like, you know, like uh, flour baking soda, like stuff that's cheaper you can get instead of buying aspirin. Um, but with the uh, lidocaine and novocaine, that's mainly added to cocaine because it gives, it's mainly added to bad cocaine because it increases the numbing effect on the face. So and that's usually for the people who use cocaine, that's how they sort of see if it's good cocaine, like how much is it on your face and everything, so that's frequently added to it too. Hope it not seem so bad. Yeah, exactly. So now, I guess, uh, one of the questions I would have is, what is special about PSA? Why, why is PSA better than, say, some of the other services that might be around in Sure. So, I, like, I'm not, I'm not about to compare PSA to other services in there, but we do have a couple of things that that, that um, make us special. Um, so, one thing is we are um, we are a peer-based organization. So, we hire directly from individuals in the community. And I, I say hire, but we recruit people to, for, to volunteer with us through the community we work with. And that's something I I really hold close to myself, making sure any harm reduction is peer-based and it's run by peers and guided by peers, um, because it's no Right. It's, it's, it doesn't do anyone any good if an outsider comes into a community and starts telling the community how to do things. Like there is a history with the community that needs to be taken into account. There are nuances in the community that need to be taken into account. And that's not something that can happen if like an outside force sort of comes in and sort of imposes their will on um, that community. So all like all of our like uh, our all pretty much our whole volunteer base have had uh, experiences in um, in working and reading at festivals and after some parties. And one thing I do with my recruitment and all that is I keep I keep a good eye on the balance between uh, individuals who um, individuals who come from the health field and individuals who appear experience. Like I don't want people with health experience to outweigh the peers of this organization. So I want to make sure there's a good balance through all of that because um, peers need their voices heard and they need to be the one that guides change in the community and guides interventions. And so like you know there's a lot of goodwill people who work in healthcare who want to get involved in stuff like this. Um, but I need to think that I need to be very cautious about maintaining that balance because this is it is a peer-based organization. Um, so 
community. Like we we are part of the community. Yes, exactly. That that's the bottom line is that we want to be part of the community and be uh, a place that people can come to uh, regularly and if they need our services. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, like we're a lot of us are really recognizable in the community. Like yourself, uh, yourself included. Like you are very recognizable in this community and everything. So it's like, and the, like. That's the people I want to part of this team. Like, you know, these are the like stakeholders in this community. And that's why so like I will reach out to DJs and event promoters and stuff. Like these are people who are involved in the community who spread a lot of power. So you can you can work with them to build safety for everyone. Like this is this is a community-based organization. This isn't a health organization. This is like we are from the community, we work with the community by community members. Yeah, and it feels so good to have the support of the, the community here in Winnipeg and um, like just myself uh, seeing how much uh, this organization has grown like it really is grassroots and like I, I, I love the heart the heart of PSA and um, you know starting from our little handmade signs and I have like my little my first handmade <laughs> name tag that yeah. I ever made you know yeah. um, it is honestly a lot easier to approach someone that you recognize from the community than somebody who looks like a doctor and you aren't sure whether or not you're going to get in trouble by approaching that person. Yeah, yeah, and so we've had, there's had been issues in the past that this is more on the back end, sort of like managing leadership side of it, where we've had, I've brought individuals who have, are mainly focused on the medical and medical side of things, and I've like brought them into volunteer, and I realize they're kind of like perpetuating a lot of, um, addiction sort of stuff and I'm like, I'm like that's not that's not who we are that's not how we operate that's cool if that's how you operate but you know you may be a better fit for a different organization because that's not really we're not really here to get people to stop using substances that's not my goal with this at all my goal is to have people be safe in whatever health choices they make um and so I want our volunteership to sort of reflect that so yeah so it's just like you know it's the direction that we're choosing as an organization yeah. it's to be Decreasing the harm. Yes, exactly. Harm reduction focus, not uh, abstinence focus. Exactly. What other organizations? And there's a place for abstinence for everyone, that's for sure, but there's a lot of, there's a good amount of resources that are abstinence based out there. And um, so I'm really making, I'm really trying to draw a line in the sand with that. That's not the path that we're, we're looking at, mainly because it's, there's a lot of stuff out there for already, but there's not a lot of harm reduction stuff. So that's really wonderful. Well, and it's true. It's kind of like almost like a gray area, like going from, uh, you know, abstaining to, and then the assumption, like, you can't control yourself and then there's an addiction. There's like a huge amount of the population then that is, that, it, that needs to fit somewhere, yeah. right? Yeah. They're like reasonable, responsible, accountable people, mm -hmm. and they just like to have a good time every now and then. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, like there have been deaths in our community. There was one in recent, you know, I just see how, in in that situation, it was combo of drugs that ended up taking that person. And so, you know, like it hurts everybody because that was like a life that should not have ended. Mm -hmm. You know. So, and when it comes to like drug deaths, every I hundred percent believe every single drug death is hundred percent avoidable. There is no like there is there are societal pressures that will lead to deaths when it comes to substance use. So the fact that drugs are illegal, that we don't have an actual secure supply chain, that there's lots of toxic drugs out there, that no one knows the dosages of these drugs because they're cut to the 
cut all over the place. And even if you weigh out your drug, like, yeah, okay, you weigh out that much, but how much of that's cutting agents and everything. So, like, there's no control over that. And so, like, that's why it's important that they're, like, I'm pushing for, like, safe supply access because that's one of the big harms that comes with substance use is that the, the supply is toxic. We don't know what we're getting. Um, and so, yeah, I, I strongly believe that any sort of drug death or drug overdose is 100% avoidable. Um, but, you know, as a society, we haven't gotten to that point yet where we're ready to talk about that. Now, as an organization, does PSA uh, offer anything that may help with, with overdose, um, like Narcan or Naloxone, as we call it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. so yeah, you, you bring up a good thing there. So um, PSA is set up as a Naloxone distribution hub. So we do distribute Naloxone to um, people who want to receive the training. We've done some group trainings. We also, um, at pretty much if you see us at any event, we will have a bunch of Naloxone kits with us. And if you want, we all have a trainer on for pretty much all of our events. So if someone wants to get a kit, they just can talk to us 30 minutes or less, depending on how fast we get through stuff. We can get you your kits. Um, but yeah, we, we've set up at music festivals and done Naloxone training at music festivals. Um, we've done it at raves. We've done it at like gatherings. Um, so that's one thing. That's one way how we're sort of addressing this um, these, this issue of overdoses in our community. And for people who don't know, Narcan mainly works for opiates. Um, the, the main one that's frequently talked about is fentanyl. So um, and there have been some cases of, you know, cocaine being like, none that I've been able to confirm here in Winnipeg except for one case. Um, there's been some cases of uh, cocaine being cut with fentanyl. Um, there is, um, we got one of the most recent festivals we did this summer, we actually had an individual who brought us an MDMA sample that was, it was coming back as opiates. We couldn't, like our fentanyl test was giving us weird results and it, on a reagent test, it was pointing to some sort of opiate and MDMA. Um, so we were suspecting that, yeah, there's maybe some sort of opiate in this and that was an MDMA sample that they brought us. Um, so yeah, I think anyone who uses substances doesn't have what should have a Narcan kit or a Naloxone kit and know how to use it. Um, because yeah, they're, there is that risk of that you may be a lucky one with a toxic uh, drug. Now, that's a good, actually, that's a really good point. Um, Project Safe Buddy and so at least we do the testing at these events, but people are doing substances all the time mm -hmm. when they're not at these events, mm -hmm. um, whether they're doing them at their homes, with their friends, at parties, etc. Yeah. So if somebody wants to be a responsible uh, drug user mm -hmm. and um, wants to have a kit of their own, um, do their own testing, maybe for themselves or their friends. Yeah. Where can they access something? Yeah, so there's a couple different things. So if you want to get training in Naloxone, you can message us up on Facebook and we can help you coordinate something like that, either us training you or um, get you hooked up with another organization that does Naloxone training. As for drug testing, we will we are down to answering questions that people have about drug testing if they message us up. But uh, one of the services I like to always recommend is getyourdrugstested.com. You ship your drugs off to them in about a week's time, they'll tell you your, your results. Um, and yeah, those are some great services to kind of take control over your own health and uh, your own safety when it comes to substance use. So this, this get, you can get your drugs tested.com. Anybody yeah. can use it then. It doesn't have to be an organization. Yeah, anyone can use it there. You just message them up and they will, they'll ask some questions and they will, um, they will give you their shipping address and everything there. And they have some restrictions around how you ship it to them. So make sure you read that because, you know, you want to also make sure they're safe as well. So, you know, there's specific ways they want you to package the substance when you ship it off or so. Um, what about um, if people want to uh, say they're really nerdy and they want to do some chemical testing of their mm -hmm. own? Is that something that people can access for, their, for themselves? Yeah, so you can buy the, the same testing kits we use. You can buy them from a couple of different 
different sites. So if you want to support a Canadian uh, company, there's Tech Test Kit Plus. Um, I think it's .com. Uh, if you Google Test Kit Plus, they'll pop up their name-based company. They sell drug uh, checking reagents. Um, we tend to buy ours from Dantsafe just because they have a larger um, they have a larger panel of reagents that we can uh, we can use. So I will I will use them frequently because they uh, they have a couple other ones that um, Test Kit Plus doesn't have access to. Um, but yeah, both those sites are great to buy reagents, and um, like there's lots of instruction manuals online on how to use them. There's lots of videos on how to use it, all that. And if you have any questions about operating it, you can always send a message on Facebook or an email address, and we can, you know, help out where we can. Well, thank you for giving all these tips for, uh, for people who maybe uh, haven't thought about um, testing themselves. Um, now, thinking about projects, what kind of projects does Project Safe Audience um, involved with, or what kind of things? Do we have for the future aspirations? Yeah. So yeah, for right now, because the events aren't really going on, um, I've been trying to uh, you know focus on like team development and you know building our, our skills as an organization as opposed to doing more event-based stuff just because they're not really going on. But we have a couple projects, and I'm sure you're aware of the, the um, our psychedelic paint night that we're putting together. So what we're going to be doing is we're virtual. Yeah, virtual, virtual psychedelic paint night. So what we'll do is we're going to have an artist who will. Um, doing a step-by-step painting demonstration for anyone who wants to tune in and uh, we'll wait until we gather everything together. And I guess we should also mention that uh, donations will be encouraged for this painting mm -hmm. because uh, as an organization we are actually trying to get to where we can get an FDIR. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we did get a quote more recently of uh, it's still fairly expensive. So. Any, any donation counts, and yeah. it, uh, it goes towards us being able to get more gear for our, our uh, events, mm -hmm. as well as hopefully an FDIR sooner than later. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so yeah, that meet night, it will be, it will be free, but we're, we're, we're asking people if they, if they have some extra dollars to toss away, that'd be greatly appreciated. Um, but uh, yeah, we can encourage, want to encourage community too. So, you know, friends want to get together to do the paint night together. It's going to be like a Zoom link. And, yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, I think that we could even make ourselves available to maybe do a test night if people wanted to get yeah. their substances tested before before the event, if that's something that they're going to yeah. do. Yeah. And that's something I've been, I've been thinking about as well, because, you know, people are still using substances. Like, I still get messages from people asking me questions about substances all the time. Um, yeah, people are still using, still using drugs out there, just not as events anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No surprise to anyone. Um, so it's, yeah, so like, But this is also a time when community is really important, mm -hmm. right? Like, Being um, able to have everyone come together and know that even though we're miles apart in a lot of cases, we're still connected. We're still in this together and everything there, and I still feel a very like, strong sense of connection and strong sense of community, even though we haven't been able to gather like that frequently as we would, as we would like. But, um, you know, different challenges in life, and you just have to work with what you got, and so that's, that's something we're kind of working on here. Um, and with our future projects and stuff. So yeah, with, with PSA, like I'm, I, one thing I'm really working, I'm trying to work a little bit more on is like developing a stronger psychedelic crisis intervention program. So doing, I've been taking a lot of, um, one of my own professional interests of my own as a nurse is around use of psychedelics in medicine. So um, there's some great science coming out around um, the health benefits of psychedelic use in a medical setting. Um, a lot of the information that I'm learning from that is that can actually be 
um, used in event-based psychedelic crisis intervention. So having a look at our, our psychedelic crisis program and just sort of, you know, rebuilding it from the ground up is something I've been kind of working on. Um, another sort of uh, uh, one thing we've also been kind of heavily involved in is advocacy. So working on trying to get the um, uh, deregulated naloxone, naloxone no longer having to be given by registered health professionals, which is a bit of an annoying barrier that currently exists. Um, that's something I've been doing some work on in the background there. And um, yeah, it's been, it's been nice because I can, myself personally, I can use the, the voice of PS, PSA to sort of amplify uh, voices of our peers and some of the things that they've been asking for in the community. And so I've been trying to use that responsibly to um, bring the change that our community wants to see in the world. So. Yeah, our last Naloxone training at our fundraiser, I was so impressed with how many people showed up. It was so impressed with how many people showed up. I guess, I know you touched lightly on this earlier, but um, if people do want to volunteer with PSA, uh, what would you uh, look for in a volunteer? How would they connect with us? Yeah, yeah so for what I'm looking for the volunteer, the main thing is I want, I, one thing I really, really, want to recruit uh, this uh, population is around um, having lived or living experience with substances. So, you know, either have used substances in the past or personally used substance. That's one of the big things that I try to recruit for that. I try to recruit a lot of people from that community because those are our peers. Those are the people in that are have the lived experience and have the knowledge around how to stay safe and keep others safe at these events. Um, so that's one thing. Um, but that's not like, you know, like if you haven't used substance before, that's fine. But it's just like, well, I got a bit more of a nuanced conversation around, um, like, there's some of your beliefs around um, substance use and everything. Um, and then, so what I do for people, what they, like, anyone can apply, what they'll do is just message us up on Facebook or send us an email and just say, hey, I want you to apply. I have an application they fill out. It's pretty, it's a pretty chill application, everything there. Fill it out. And then, um, yeah, we, I will add you to our PSA Facebook group that we have. And that's where we kind of do all of our scheduling for events and everything. And just sort of a way where we can all talk together in sort of a safe environment around harm reduction. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, if you like going to festivals, you like going to shows, you like partying, you know, send us, send me a message. You're geeky, nerdy, and want to learn cool stuff. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So that's, um, yeah, that's, um, that's kind of how you get involved with us. It's, um, it's a pretty chill process. Um, if, um, if anyone's looking to apply, send us a message, we'll be down to chat. And, and I guess it would be uh, also important to mention that we do have a website if someone is looking for contact. Uh, currently, it's just safeaudience.ca. Mm -hmm. uh, so, but are we are, are we looking at changing that? Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, we are currently in the process of changing it. We're eventually, I'm, I'm sure you, you are very aware that we are moving towards uh, changing over to projectsafeaudience.ca. But for the current time, our website is safeaudience.ca. Um, but I'm, I'm assuming we can send, we have a link. If it's like safe audience. We just oh yeah, we can, we can definitely link this uh, in the description of, uh, of the podcast. Yes, yeah. uh, as well as uh, the YouTube video. Uh, so that uh, that will be there. Perfect. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of like our, that's one of our points of contact, our Facebook page, like facebook.com slash project safe audience. I'm, I have a couple people who run that page and we're pretty responsive with their messaging usually within a day or two. Um, so yeah, you can, there's a couple different ways you can hit us up. And uh, I believe there's Instagram as well. Yes, we also have Instagram at, safe, at Project Safe Audience uh, as well. That's uh, that one. Yeah, we also we also respond to pretty quickly as well. Definitely. Awesome. Well, 
um, for me here, uh, I guess when I when I joined Project Save Body Ends, um, I I didn't actually have much experience with um, with drug use, mm -hmm. and my experience was I wanted to dance. I just wanted to go to these raves and mm -hmm. I wanted to have fun with friends. And I was uh, making friends with people who use substances. Yeah. And I felt very insecure, I guess, mm -hmm. and maybe inadequate about my own um, knowledge. Mm -hmm. um, and I also felt fear mm -hmm. that something was going to happen and I was going to be responsible to have to take care of I, I felt the same way in the first time. I loved you. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, this was before I started volunteering. I was finding myself having these stresses mm -hmm. around just having, because um, I love love my friends. Yeah. Um, but I also um, was scared. Yeah. And so um, when I actually came to an event and I met um, Jason, um, you know, the the open arms that I that I gained from from the community and my background is sexual um, health, so I, it kind of tied in well with with the community, and um, I have a lot of friends, so I felt really good about the amount of people that could come to the community now um, and got their 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 substances tested because of that. But mm -hmm. you know, like everybody has a different story as to why um, they're here, but. Um, you know, I think that the heart of all of us is very similar. Like yeah. we all have big, pushy hearts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we <laughs> love our community, right. our friends. Yeah, we keep our friends and family safe. And so this is an environment where you can kind of learn techniques around how to keep your loved ones safe and everything and how to keep yourself safe as well. And so speaking of that, can you give us some tips? So what are some tips that you can give people who want to help their friends and their family be safe using uh, recreational drugs? Um, and or uh, specifically like sexual health, all of those things. Yeah. So like, an overarching thing I would always recommend is keeping an open, open discussion and being like being honest and open and um, not putting up too many walls with around conversations around substances. So even if you don't use substances yourself, like I listen to people who do use substances um, and you know try to leave your judgments at the door um, because. If you are talking with someone who uses substance and you sort of display any sort of judgment to them in their substance use, then you're going to block that right off right there. They're not going to want to talk to you about any at all. So, you know, keeping that open and honest conversation going forward is really good around keeping people who use substances safe. Um, so, yeah, being aware of your, what's like stigmatizing language. So, um, whenever I talk for like, one example of that is whenever I talk about people who use substances, I will say people who use substances. I won't, I, I try to refrain from using terms like drug user, drug user, drug addiction, and that sort of stuff. Like, I try to use people first language. So, when you're a person first, you're a substance use second. Um, so that's just sort of, and that, that can apply to even sexual health as well. So, you know, um, and keeping an open, honest conversation around uh, different ways people participate in sexual activity and the the, the whole different the rainbow, yeah, yeah, the rainbow <laughs> of sexual expression and all that. Yeah, being open to that, you know, you may may not be something that you are yourself particularly interested in, but if you keep an open, honest conversation, you can you can be you can be that support person for someone who might be you know having some challenges in there. Um, some more specific sort of stuff around supporting people who use substances and supporting people who are involved in uh, certain forms of um, sex. Uh, so for the substance one, what we can do is we can talk about, you know, make sure you get your drugs tested. That's a pretty simple one. Get yourself shipped off to get your drugs tested.com. Um, you know, 
making sure you know your dose. So one thing that always frustrates me is when people come to me and I say, oh, hey, how many did you make? I'm giving you tip. And they're like, I took four caps. I'm like, that's great. <laughs> I'm like, that's great. How much MDMA is that? And they're like, four caps worth. I'm like, that's awesome. Because caps come from, caps have like, there's like 30 different sizes of caps. You can have some that hold 30 milligrams. You have some that can hold up to like a gram and a half. So which, where, where are so we? Who, who made the cap? Yeah, exactly. Where, where are we in this whole technique? Like, I, I did a little bit of a, I did a little bit of a, early on in PSA, I did a little test for a while there where I was weighing people's caps. I'm like, I'm, I'm curious. Like, how much do we have? Like, we were getting people who had like 50 milligram caps and get someone who had a 300 milligram cap. Oh. I was like, what the hell? Like, this is all over the place. So weighing out your dose, knowing exactly how much you're taking. Um, making sure you take breaks in between your substances. One particular one is MDMA. You know, you don't want to be taking that every weekend. You know, try to leave at least a month gap in between. You don't really want to lose your magic. I mean, so you're taking it more frequently, it increases your chances of, well, increases your come down, like your, your the depression that comes after it, that increases it exponentially. Um, but also, it fucks with the neurochemistry a little bit, so give your brain a little time to regenerate. Um, around for sexual health stuff, um, consent. Consent's a big thing for me. Sure, it's a bit big for yourself as well. Around, you know, talking about what your expectations are, talking about what you like, talking about what you don't like, um, and also, like, also um, taking no as an answer. Like, you know, and like, you know, no means no. It doesn't mean ask me to identify me. It means no. Uh, maybe also means no. Yeah, yeah, maybe also, yeah. Because <laughs> if there's any part of the answer that means no, it's no. Yeah, well, and even silence means no, unless you explicitly hear a yes. Yeah. It's no. Yeah. You know, sure is also no as well. Like, you know, consent needs to be enthusiastic and it needs to be reestablished over. Yeah, it's like everyone needs to be enthusiastic in whatever sort of intercourse they're involved in. And like, you know, like if the enthusiasm is something you negotiate at a different time, that's 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 understandable. But like, you know, if you're first getting into a relationship, like everyone needs to be excited about the decisions they made. If they don't need like if there's any sort of hesitation and stuff like that, that's like. You know, that's, that's where you need to stay a step back and be like, you know, this might not be the time, you know, let's talk about this a little bit more. Emotional health is just as valid as an experience, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. I would also like to ask then, um, if if someone's planning on, on having uh, sexual uh, relations well there on a substance, is this something that they should agree to prior to? Uh, do you believe that somebody can consent while they're on a substance? So... My, so my, the gray. <laughs> it's, 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 it's great, but it's something that happens frequently enough that you can have an open, honest conversation about it. Um, so for me, it's, um, my preference and this is for my, own per, per, my own personal preference is like, I, 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 I do not, will not have sex with someone for the first time while under the influence of a substance like this and, or if, if that is the case, like it needs to be, you need to negotiate consent before taking the substance. Um, and so that's just like my own personal, that's my own personal thing for myself. Um, with also the understanding that that consent can be removed. Yes. Any exactly. Exactly. And that can, that can sometimes get not going to speak for you sometimes. No, but I'm just, you know, it brings up some of the challenges around consent and substances because, you know, the ability to converse with someone sort of changes underneath the, some of the substances there. Or even feeling sexual. Yeah, like yeah. for a lot of people, some substances just remove that completely. Yeah, like so in their head. Oh not, yeah. Not oh, oh yeah. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. So yeah, my my recommendation is like you know talk before you take the substance. But you know what? It happens. Music festivals, raves. You know, you're in the moment. In the moment and everything there. 
Um, if you're planning to have sex and you're under the influence of substance, like, you know, try your best to keep your wits about you. Um, try your best to negotiate consent for all of it. Um, you know, um, let people know where you're going. Um, think ahead and brain protection. Yeah. Or, even or if don't you, find us. Even if yeah. you don't think you're going to have sex, yeah. I always say just bring protection anyway. Oh, yeah. You never know what's going to happen, what you might be feeling in I the mean, moment. I so. mean, all vaccines can happen, maybe. Yeah, so, yeah, I don't know. know. <laughs> you never know. 95% like, no, but, <laughs> but maybe not. Is that 5%? Maybe. Um, so, yeah, I'm making sure you have everything you need to have a safe sexual or safer sexual sexual experience so like condoms lube whatever barrier you plan to use and all that sort of stuff um and you know like being aware of like power dynamics if you're in the influence um and trying to engage in sort of sexual stuff um it's can that can get kind of blurry and there can be there can be some problematic power dynamics that can happen um, can you just give us an example of so power dynamics? you know like maybe even specific to our community yeah so like, let's 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 say someone like let's say there's an individual who is like very intoxicated like and um you know if an individual who is less intoxicated or even just sober uh is trying to engage in a sexual activity with that person um so there's a pretty there's a pretty severe power dynamic there you know one person is severely altered and may not be able to you know articulate what they want as well as the other individual who is you know sober or not as intoxicated so that like if you are if you are the person who is intoxicated being aware of like you know the difference in levels of intoxication between the person which can be hard if you're intoxicated um but you know being being aware of that if you're on the other side where you're the sober or less intoxicated person like you know being aware that you are entering um you're entering an area that is problematic like you there can be there are legal there are legalities surrounding yeah. know, having sex with people who yeah. are yeah. Uh, using substances. Yeah, I mean, look at the yeah, I mean, look at the legality. Like you know, I, I went to a great presentation by this individual named Stacy, Cyber Seven BC, and their big things around um, consent, um, um, power dynamics, and safe spaces. And one thing they talked about was you know like just because like just, like we shouldn't let legality affect our. It's kind of weird. I'm gonna see if I can articulate it. The reason we do or don't do things shouldn't be because if it's legal or not, we should be looking at the morals. The ethical aspect. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, you know, like, you know, legality might be behind some of the stuff, um, but like, you know, look at your own morals. I guess it's like, we shouldn't really be guided by what's what's legal. We should be guided by what's moral. Do you really want to be having sex with somebody who's like semi-unconscious or black, yeah. blackout yeah. state? Yeah, and that's like, is, yeah. like is, is that really what you what you want? Yeah, and the legal side of that says like no, like that's like not something you should be involved in, like that you're gonna be charged if you decide if like if someone is so intoxicated that you're taking advantage of them, you'd be charged criminally for that for that as well. But you know, like I'm sure we're all this aware there's shades of gray with intoxication. Um, not everything when both persons are intoxicated and like how do you differentiate? I think that that's where like the communicating and the questions have to happen, especially beforehand. You yeah, know? like yeah. I'm not sure if I'm gonna be interested in having sex later. Like that's okay to be upfront about that and yeah. or just have like lines. Okay, I'm I think I'm only gonna be good with like up to hand. Yeah, like I don't I don't wanna go somewhere where I'm not sure I'm ready to go today. Yeah. You know, it's reasonable and people should 
be able to have those conversations. Definitely, I, I would agree on that. Yeah, yeah, and like with that sort of like shades of gray and all that sort of stuff, like with two people intoxicated, if they're able to like, you know, if they're able to like consent and everything, have this conversation, you know, like I'm, I'm not saying don't have sex, like, but you just need to be aware going into it. Like I'm not, you know, like there is different power dynamics that come with that. There's different challenges that come with that. So just being aware of those and uh, doing things to keep yourself safe and also knowing where you're, like you mentioned, knowing where your lines are, knowing, knowing this line that I can't cross and articulating that this is a line that you cannot cross. And then if that line is crossed, getting, like getting out of there and getting away because, you know, like you also want to, you know, respect your own barriers as well. Like this is, this is, I don't want to go past this. If someone is pushing me past this, this is the time to disengage in this, whatever we're partaking in. Excellent. So I guess uh, our next question would be, uh, what would be some misconceptions people might have about PSA? <laughs> this is one of my favorite ones. People think they sell drugs. Um, yeah, I, 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 now and then, if someone that comes up to me and says, like, hey, you guys, like, I heard you guys do drug testing. Can I test some of those drugs? And I'm like, yeah, bring, bring your drugs up there. Like, no, no, no. Like, what do you have to test for me? They're like, no, that's not, no, we don't, so we don't have any of those, any of that. I'll ask me who to, who to get drugs from. I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. I'm really sorry. Yeah, yeah. That's not a place. Like, you know, like, you can, you know, like, go ask in the crowd. You can, you can find someone there. But when you do find someone, bring that substance back to us and let's get that tested. Um, that's something, yeah, that's something I'll frequently let people know. Like, sorry, we don't have anything. But, you know, if you find something, we've got testing kits here and everything. Um, another misconception I find a lot with people with PSA is kind of like it's a chicken or the egg argument. So people, there's a bit of misconception that when we show up at an event, we bring people who use drugs to these events. And it's not, we go to events because there's already people who use drugs at these events. <laughs> and, and we've been invited by the event. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And like, they're being responsible. And I just want to say kudos to all of the people who like bring us into their fold, yeah, invite us to their communities, like their events. And, and I would just like to, to, to add in there, like, I mean, while we're talking about festivals and raves, <laughs> there, there are definitely some bigger, uh, festivals and events we've been to that are, are not just raves or underground scenes. Yeah. Um, so it's it's no matter where you are, there are people that may be using substances. Oh, yeah. it, it's better to have us there than not. Yeah, that's interesting. You bring up an interesting conversation there. This is this has been this has been an interesting negotiation with some of the larger scale festivals and I'm not gonna be naming any specific festivals, but there are some large scale music festivals that yeah, we're, that we have one couple we are in conversations with, and they're like, you know what, like, we're not entirely sure if we want you there because, like, then, like, you know, like, you guys bring drug use with you. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Your festival, and this festival we're talking about specifically, like, is notorious for substance use. Like, you know, like, no one in their, no one in their right mind would say no one uses substances at this festival. <laughs> it's, 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 it's interesting, but, like, I get why festivals kind of are cautious about that because, like there is a, once you acknowledge it, you need to do something about it. So once you acknowledge your substance use at your festival, it is the expectation that you do something about that. So a lot of festivals don't want to acknowledge yeah, it. And like, there's, we, there's, we can't see anything, we can't hear yeah, anything. Yeah, you're speak the I mean, I know there's, there's many festivals we've been to where they have a disclaimer that's like absolutely no drugs allowed. And 
there we are. And it's not like we're bringing the substances in. They're, they're doing their checks, but people people that want to use a substance at a festival will get it in. Yeah, exactly. I, I understand why people put that on their like handbill and stuff like that. Like, you know, well, like, everything is always about legality. Yeah. They don't, oh, they don't yeah. want to be responsible. They don't want to get sued. I, 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 but I, guess what? People are still going to use drugs. Yeah, yeah. Just, just because you're saying it's not a thing that happens there doesn't mean it is. Yeah, exactly. And I think one of the issues, and I had a, a really intense conversation with a um, a festival promoter and a, an event promoter in the, in, the, in the city because they, in one of their, we've been working with this program for a while, and in one of their recent things, they were, they posted like, yeah, we don't allow any substances at our events. And so I was like, I messaged up the person running, I'm like, you, okay, let's have a chat about this. Why, why did you put that on there? We both know what goes on at your events. Why did you put that on there? But you know, we wanted this to be sort of like a healing thing and all that stuff. Like, that's, that's, that's fine. But if you put that where you're saying like, no substances allowed at this festival, what you're doing is that A, you're not acknowledging it that people are using substances at your festival, and B, if something goes wrong, that person is less likely to tell health providers or tell staff what they actually took. Because now you're, you've are you closed the door, you as an event promoter, closed the door to that conversation. Yeah, you told them those people aren't welcome in this community and that they need to hide what they're, what they're doing and all that. And that just, that brings a weird dynamic and that's not something I like to work with. So anytime I see that stuff pop out with any of our partnering agencies, that's a conversation I will have. Right? Like, what's your, what's your goal with this? Because I want to tell you, Whatever you think your goal is, you're probably making it worse by posting this. One well, and, and like a lot of PSA stuff, we go to a lot of different events. I I've personally volunteered in an event where there 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 wasn't substance use. Yeah. But we were still there to provide a safe space in case somebody just needed a break from the, the music and, and yeah, the people at events. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we do offer we do offer services that aren't specifically for um, substance use, like we talk about, our psychedelic crisis intervention. Even though it's a psychedelic crisis intervention, that actually works. It works really well for any mental health crisis, whether that be anxiety, depression. It, it's it's a pretty it's a pretty systematic way to go through any sort of crisis and sort of recenter people. Um, and so yeah, we like you know like it's there can be events where that isn't the case where people are using substances, but events and festivals are high energy. They're stressful. Like, you know, I've been in the middle of a crowd there before, and I'm like, I'm freaking the fuck out because I can't move. And so, like, you know, there is, like, there are, these events are high stress, and so people need a place that they can just go relax in a bit of a safe environment where they can chill and reset to themselves. Excellent. So I think we have time for uh, one more question. Uh, oh, uh, this is probably the best one. Do you have any specific memories or favorite memory you'd want to share about helping someone at an event? Yeah, there's been a couple. There's there's been a couple. So one big one I mentioned already earlier around that individual who thought they didn't catch me, but then being a different substance. That was a that was a big moment. I was like, I'm like, wow, I like, used all my harm reduction skills, and it like came to a positive outcome. It's like this is great. And that individual who's talked to me times since then, we've had some pretty interesting conversations, which I'm really glad. Um, but then I remember there was this one event where we had, um, we had some individuals who had come up to me and they had just taken, um, they just taken some LSD and they were like, hey, like, we're starting to come up, like, I'm freaking the fuck out, it's like, you know, this is way stronger than I expected, um, and they were there with their partner and they were both, like, very, like, anxious, they were fidgeting and everything, so I'm like, oh yeah, I don't mind the booth, I just chill in the booth, find the booth there. We're chilling there for a little bit, and I'm noticing they're not, it's not, this isn't helping, but they're still very anxious, like, they're glancing over the shoulders, they're not really engaging with me in conversation, so I'm like, okay, like, let's, 
Okay, let me just focus on this fully. Let's see what else we can do here. So, like, one of the big things when it comes with uh, people who run influence psychedelics is a changing of environment goes a very long way. So I was like, okay, let's get the let's get the fuck out of here. Like, let's go outside. Come with me outside. Let's let's go outside. So we go outside and talk to security. I'm like, we're just standing outside. Like, let's back in. I work here. Um, and so we went outside there, and like immediately their outlook changed. Like they were like. Oh, it feels like better. Yeah. They're like psychedelics in nature go really well. Yeah, yeah. This was uh, this was like in downtown, so like it wasn't exactly nature, but you know, <laughs> just fresh air, yeah. <laughs> space um, with lots of people, the beautiful cars running by. <laughs> you know, it's change of pace, change of scenery. They call it a different thing. exactly. So yeah, we like we sat down, like we went outside, and we started chatting, and they were like, you know what, like we just had a bit of a, like an argument before we came here. We thought, you know what else, might help us out before that. I'm like, I'm like, okay, like that's a that's a decision you made. Um, one thing I will let you know for future times, like you know, before you take me psychedelic, especially long acting and psychedelic, like, like look at yourself in terms of me being like, how am I feeling? Is there any anxiety in my body? So we talked a little bit about that. But a lot of times when I'm doing crisis intervention, I try not to tell people what they did wrong because that doesn't help them. Yeah, and so talking about. Yeah. So I I briefly talked about that, but I'm like, let's talk about now. What are you you both feeling right now? What are you both experiencing? So they both talked about some of the challenges they were experiencing right now. What they what they sort of needed from support for each other. Well, yeah, we had some open and honest conversations about how they could both support each other and how they could both like work through this experience and everything. We talked about journaling through all there. Um, But yeah, after about maybe like five minutes of talking about this, it's a long conversation. They're like, you know what, like. I'm feeling really good. Like, I want to go back in. I'm like, great, excellent. Let's let's get you back in there. So they go back in there. They go into the crowd, and at the end of the night, they came by and they like, they came by and saw me. And they're like, thank you so much for doing that. Like, you saved our night. Like, we were like trying to figure out how to get home in a taxi. Like, we were like, we were ready to get the fuck out of here. And you actually got us all back together to be able to there. I was like, that's great. And those individuals, they have actually like they have I've seen them at many many events since then and every single time they'll come up and talk to me and say like you know thank you for that time that you helped me there you know this is what i'm taking tonight so let's talk about that for a little bit you know what's going on in your life and all that sort of stuff and so it's just like you know we build these like community like this community of individuals um and it's it's stuff like that that makes me like feel very happy and proud that this is a program that i was, I was you know able to get off the ground and get everyone involved in because like yeah, and that isn't even just like standalone story. There's many times there's been people uh, who have been able to help who come back later and been like, "Thank you so much for doing that." I don't know what I'd have done otherwise. Um, and it's yeah, it's it's quite that's that's really the magical part for me and the part that really like warms my heart. It's just like you know, we are we're making a difference. We are we're, we're being the people that we wanted when we were in that situation. Everything that um, yeah, that means a lot to me. Thank you very much for your time. Uh, once again, Bryce Coach was our uh, guest today on PSA with PSA. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so we uh, just throw this out one more time. We are having a paint night coming up, Psychedelic yeah. Art Paint Night coming up. Uh, who's our artist for that again? Hi, Robin Love. Robin Love. Okay, and do we have a date set for that? No, no, no. so then uh, keep an eye on our Facebook page, Product Safe Audience. Yep. And our website, safeaudience.ca, for more information on that coming up. Um, any last words for our listeners or viewers today? Um, you know, like, thank you very much for getting this all going. I'm excited to have many other uh, harm reduction champions on here and seeing all the different nuances when it comes into harm reduction. And uh, I'm excited that everyone who's tuning in is in, you know, listening to, listening to this conversation. It's, it's a great. 
Definitely. Thank you. And uh, for anyone listening or watching, uh, we will have a link for you to uh, leave your questions or feedback uh, if you uh, want to do that. And uh, we, we will we'll share that with Bryce at another time. Thanks. Have a great night. Thank you. <laughs>